Hello and welcome to the Euractive Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Natasha Foote. I'm Julia Dam. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euractive's Agri-Food News Team. This week, agri-items on the Parliament agenda and drought in Spain. So hello and welcome back after a little break. I hope everyone had a very nice and relaxing and uh, food-filled Easter um, with lots and lots of agri-food goodies. Um, I hope the Easter bunny was was kind to you all. And actually, we were just talking just now about a fun chocolate-related fact. So, uh, Julia, what was what, 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 fill us in. What was yeah, this interesting it was, fact? Uh, it's a sweet, fun fact, actually, uh, about chocolate. So I hope many of you enjoyed some uh, nice chocolate eggs or other chocolate for mm-hmm. Easter. And um, maybe everyone can have a little guess um, listening. Who do you think is the top exporting country of chocolate in the EU? Now, Natasha already knows because we talked about it before. I know, but I definitely but wouldn't guess this. <laughs> it was a surprise to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you might think of Belgium or something that you associate with chocolate, but it's actually Germany. Woo! Yay. Yeah, really. My first thought was Belgium. Like, I'm very surprised this is not Belgium. You know, it's it's, it's one of the things yeah. I'm most fundamentally known for. You know, exactly. But, well, I th- yeah, if I remember correctly, they weren't even in the top three. So, uh, step wow. it up, Belgium. Eh? Wow! My goodness, everything's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, after the nice uh, break, we're back to Brussels with the bang, which is always the case after a holiday. Um, there might not have been that much going on last week, but this week there's plenty to talk about. Um, and notably, we've got the uh, the plenary session in Strasbourg having this week. And there's a few files that we've got our eyes on. So, Julia, maybe you could tell us about the first one that we're having a look at this week. Yeah, so there's a few ones, as you said, that are related to agri-farming issues, even if they aren't uh, exclusively agriculture files. And um, the one um, that I'll be talking about is one of these, and it's about sustainable carbon cycles. So the parliament will debate uh, on Monday a resolution on this and then vote on it on Tuesday. Uh, So what's behind this kind of buzzword, sustainable carbon cycles? Uh, Basically, it's about carbon removals um, and how these can contribute to reaching climate neutrality, so negative emissions. Uh, And as I said, it's it's a bit wider than just farming. We're also talking about forestry, about technological solutions for carbon storage, but notably also talking about carbon farming, so agricultural practices that help store more carbon from the atmosphere in the soil. So where do we stand on this in the EU? Uh, In late 2021, the Commission put forth a communication on sustainable carbon cycles. And then in November last year, um, it put forth a proposal for regulation, uh, which detailed block-wide standards for certifying the removal of carbon from the atmosphere. So it's about making sure that any certification of carbon farming or other carbon removals meets some EU-wide minimum standards. And now there's this resolution that MEPs are going to discuss and vote on. Um, And the draft resolution that was already passed by the Environment Committee and that they're going to vote on this week makes a few demands, a few um, statements. And one of these is that um, the parliament or this resolution, if if they pass it, sees carbon farming as an opportunity for farmers to transform their business model. So the parliament envisages that farmers would voluntarily implement carbon farming practices um, that ideally also benefit biodiversity. And then in return, they'd be offered financial incentives. And that's actually something that wasn't addressed or covered at all by the commission proposal, because this commission proposal 
only set out rules, as I said, for the certification of carbon removals, but it didn't say anything about what should happen with these certificates or how the measures should be incentivized financially. So that's something where the MEPs are asking the commission to step up. And there's a second aspect that they raise, which is that uh, carbon removals should complement and never replace emission reductions. And that's echoing a fear that many environmentalists have voiced, which is that companies could use negative emission certificates to greenwash their carbon footprint rather than actually reducing their emissions. So that's a risk that the parliament also sees. As always, the devil is in the details, as they like to say in Brussels. No, Indeed. <laughs> yeah. And there's also another very interesting vote, well, debate and a vote going on um, in Strasbourg this week. And that is on the uh, the groundbreaking piece of environmental law that aims to stop imports into the EU of products associated with deforestation. So the um, EU's deforestation uh, regulation. Um, and so this is this is a big deal because this is the first kind of law of its kind. Um, and also, as you were saying, you know, it's one of these things that it's not just agri, but it has a huge implications for, for agriculture and the agri-food sector. Um, <clears throat> it's also a big deal because actually the EU, according to the Commission's impact assessment, you know, the EU is among the major global consumers of some of the products that are most responsible for deforestation um, elsewhere in the world. So this new law is set to apply to um, a bunch of commodities, things like soy, palm oil, um, wood, coffee, um, things like that. Um, and basically the idea is that, you know, to sell these commodities and products in the EU, companies will have to prove they don't come from land where forests have been destroyed or degraded after the 31st of December 2020 and that they're produced legally. Um, and so, yeah, it's all about the regulation plans to, you know, have this really strict due diligence requirements and traceability requirements. Um, and, you know, this has been really heralded as a major step forward in the fight against environmental destruction. Um, but there's also been a, a bunch of criticism about this, right? As is always the case. <laughs> of, um, course. of course, of course. Can't have a, you can't have something like this pass through without some controversy. Um, one of it is about the impact on small farmers. Um, because of course, like I say, you know, the burden of proof is is on the ones that are, that are producing. Um, they say that there's like a lack of resources and expertise and that they're going to, small farmers are going to struggle to comply. Um, apparently they all, they already uh, have issues in complying with existing sustainability standards sometimes. Um, and, you know, there's concerns about the imposition of, of new sustainability and traceability requirements. Um, you know, the concern being that this will exclude them from the EU market. And this is quite a major deal in the tropics because, you know, small farmers actually make up a large, a large number of the farmers in the tropics. Um, there's also a lot of controversies about this leading up to this kind of leading up to this vote and this and this decision um, because there were a few different commodities that weren't included in the list, things like maize. That was very controversial. Um, but arguably more controversially for the agri-food sector was um, the fact that meat imports to the into the EU fed on unsustainable soy were not included in the proposal. Right. And the parliament wanted to expand this, but member states know, of course, that's that's the game, right? <laughs> with the trilogues and with the inter-institutional negotiations. Um, so there's, there's been a concern here that this will put the EU farming sector at a competitive disadvantage because, of course, any soy they import into the EU to feed things like, you know, poultry or meat has to be, you know, has to comply with these extra stringent requirements. Whereas meat fed on this and then imported in is fine. Mm. So that's a controversy there. Um, 
So that's a controversy there. Um, and there's other issues around this. But actually, this is something that's going to be kind of it's going to be evolving because actually in in the next uh, in, in two years time, there's going to be a review um, and the parliament's already kind of putting on some pressure there to to expand the inclusion to poultry, pig and sheep meat. So this is something we'll be talking about in the years to come. Um, and so we have the debate on that uh, today on Monday and we have the vote on Wednesday. This week, our reporter Paula Andres is actually in Spain reporting from the impacts of drought. Um, And actually, she's put together a really interesting piece about this. Um, So here's what she found out. The Spanish National Park of Doñana has recently become the epicenter of a clash between local food producers, environmentalists and national and regional authorities. The park, located in the southern province of Huelva, is a protected wetland and is one of the most important biodiversity hotspots in Spain and also in Europe, protected by EU law and part of UNESCO's World Heritage. But because of the current drought and many years of exploitation, half of its wetlands, which are home to a variety of ecosystems, have already disappeared. For decades, over a thousand illegal wells and intensive farming crops, mainly strawberries and other berries, have been settling around the area, using water from the aquifer that feeds the wetlands. Today, when some regions of Spain haven't seen rain in over a hundred days, Doñana continues to be like a water bank to many as it dries out. Despite repeated requests, fruit producers have not given a comment to your active yet, citing the hassle of the strawberry season and also the political sensitivity of the situation. Now, the regional Andalusian government, led by, led by right and far right Partido Popular and Vox, has gone a step further, ahead of the regional elections coming up next month. They have proposed a law that will legalize 1,900 hectares that are now illegally irrigated, despite European and national authorities continuously warning about the devastating consequences and the millions in sanctions. Just last week, the European Commission repeated it once again. Now, the available scientific and technical uh, knowledge uh, that we have provides solid evidence of the adverse effects of groundwater over-exploitation in in the Doñana ecosystems. And it's on that basis that the European Court of Justice declared in June 2021 that Spain had failed to comply with the obligations under both the Water Framework Directive and the Habitats Directive uh, and was not avoiding the deterioration of the protected habitats in several Natura 2000 sites in Doñana. If necessary, I mean, the Commission will uh, have the possibility to take further measures to ensure that Spain complies with that Court of Justice ruling. Juan Ignacio Zoido, centre-right member of the European Parliament and former Spanish Ministry of Interior, told Euractiv that the proposal simply seeks alternatives with surface water to prevent the destruction of thousands of jobs, while putting the blame on the inaction of previous governments. I also spoke with Eva Hernández, head of WWF, Living European Rivers Initiative, who has been working for years to protect the Doñana National Park. Let's hear what she has to say. This isn't the first time that Doñana is under threat. Uh, so if you could explain us briefly what was the strawberry pact, El Pacto de la Fresa, uh, in 2014, and why is the Andalusian parliament breaking it now? Doñana has been under threat before it was even declared a national park. And that, why, that was one of the reasons why it was declared a national park, because there were many eucalyptus plantations around the wetlands um, the threat of agriculture transformation of transforming wetlands into into farming land, and and the 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 park was created also with the collaboration of of WWF 
um, to protect these uh, amazing wetlands in Europe um, mm -hmm. from from this development. Then uh, strawberry development started to grow in the 70s and 80s, and since then, since eight. 1988, when there was a, a report issued by the IUCN, the International Union for the Conservation of, of Nature, um, since then we know that the strawberry and this intensive farming around the national park is a threat. Mm -hmm. The problem is that we have not managed to stop it and we have not managed to put order in it because it grew very organically, it grew without any control. And what this strawberry pact made in 2014 was um, um, develop a, a path to implement the law. The laws were already there, and this plan comes to agree on, on what are we going to do, how are we going to implement the law, that we are going to, to um, define how much water can be extracted from the aquifer every year, and how much surface can, can use that water, improve farming practices, and then develop some corridors to increase the connectivity around the, the national park, which is key for its survival. Mm -hmm. Why is the Andalusian parliament breaking uh, the pact? Well, uh, votes, basically. I yeah. think this is an exercise of irresponsibility, political irresponsibility, mm -hmm. because what the government is doing right now is saying, I'm going to, I'm going to give you permits, um, land use permits for, for everybody, no? But there is not water for everybody. There is the water that there is this year with this uh, drought that we are already suffering. Uh, we, have, we are seeing how the water levels drop. Um, and this, I mean, if even if you give more permits, you are not going to create water from nothing, no? Mm -hmm. It's not raining, it's not coming from anywhere else. Um, and the feeling is that the parliament, uh, well, not the parliament, it's certain uh, political parties in the parliaments that are breaking this this agreement. Uh, it is uncomfortable for them to comply with the law. And, and what they're doing is just changing the law because it's not convenient for them to comply with it in order to get votes. Mm -hmm. But votes from just one part of the farmers because there, there are other farmers that are legal that have paid their farming land as irrigated farming land, and, and they have to compete for the use of the resource, for the use of the water with farmers that arrive there, have no permits, they bought the land much cheaper, they dig illegal boreholes. In some cases, they even burn the forest to transform forest land into farming land. And this is the people that wants to be legalized now. Mm -hmm. You you say that uh, yeah the the strawberry fields around it grew organically despite the fact that Doñana is a protected area. So I wanted to ask you why is that, why is that there are so many illegal um, uh, fields around it? In general, these crops grew because it was possible because there was a lack of control from the authorities mm -hmm. on, on the compliance with the existing laws that were already there because there was a market that, that was benefiting from this that was not controlling um, anything either. They, they didn't even think there could be uh, illegal practices around around this, this fruit. And this did create employment, mm -hmm. but it created a very uh, precarious employment. No? because when you're based on illegal activities, mm -hmm. in some cases, not in all the cases, I mean, we also have legal farms and people doing things very 
properly, but uh, most of the growth was was um, illegal, and it happened because because it could basically. Yeah, and and how is the ground groundwater exploitation affecting the ecosystem and biodiversity inside? Of the of the Doñana wetland, and also how can this potentially affect the rest of Europe? The park is a the core of the park is a wetland, and where does the water from the wetland come? Doñana has no mountains around, so most of the water comes from the rain. When you see those images of the marshlands really full of water, hectares and hectares of wetlands. Um, most of it comes from rain, but it also comes from the rivers around Doñana, um, from the Guadiamar, for example, the Rocina River. Uh, they bring the waters, but they, it's all local rain, let's say. Then what is the aquifer doing then? The aquifer is really an emergency reservoir for the national park. Mm -hmm. um, when, the, when, the, when, when the summer comes, um, it's much drier and it's not raining. Yeah. Those rivers that feed the marshland get the water from the aquifer. And also the, the aquifer, the groundwater is feeding some wetlands inside the park, uh, which are key reservoirs for, for fauna and, for, and also for flora, for biodiversity in general. These are the areas that never run dry and acted as, as these emergency reservoirs during drought periods and during summer periods. Now we are leaving Doñana without that reservoir, without that emergency buffer. And, and when a hard year comes, or even when the summer comes, those small wet, smaller wetlands are running dry. The process, this is how the lowering the water in the aquifer is affecting Doñana. And it is affecting biodiversity, as I said, because these hotspots, uh, emergency rooms for biodiversity during dry periods are running away and then If everything dies during the summer, then it cannot recover when the rain come back, comes back. We will have just empty ponds. We have already lost some species of fish and dragonflies, for example, in in Doñana. Um, we have the risk of, of losing other species, other endemism species that only live in Doñana and nowhere else. Yeah. And that would be a loss uh, for the, the park, of course, and, and for Spain, because it is a national park. Um, but also for Europe, because if Doñana runs dry, then um, it wouldn't act as a stopover point for all the waterfall, all the birds that are flying between Africa and Europe that are migrating and have Doñana as a stopover point or a breeding point. But more in general, um, when we lose a species, it's not... So if we lose a species in Doñana, it wouldn't be Doñana losing a species, not even Spain. It would be the world mm -hmm. losing a species. It's like if we lose the Yoconda, it's not the Louvre Museum losing the Yoconda, it's not France losing the Yoconda, it's the world losing the Yoconda. So with the, with the historic drop that is sweeping Spain right now and the water shortages for, for farmers uh, in agriculture. So here there are two things. No, first, like, what are the options right now to save Doñana? Um, not not only from from this proposal uh, from this proposal of a law uh, from the Andalusian Parliament, but from the draft in general, and also what will be the consequences for the multi-billion EU strawberry industry? Because Huelva is the home 
of the EU strawberry industries where most of the strawberries is is produced. Uh, so yeah, what how can this affect them as well? The only chance for Doñana is to make a good control of the water extraction around it. And this would not only um, benefit the national park, but also think uh, we're talking about 50,000 hectares of wetlands. It's huge. Yeah. It also has an impact in the microclimate of the region and in the microclimate of that old uh, corner of, of Andalusia. Um, it also has an impact on the fisheries, even in the cold. Mm -hmm. So it, it's in the in, in the rainfall. So it's losing Doñana. It's unthinkable from not only from the biodiversity perspective, but from the human point of view. And even if we run Doñana, if we made Doñana run dry and um, gave all the water to farming, the farming sector would have a problem for two reasons. One that I already said, there's a microclimate that Doñana is creating that they would lose. Yeah. And and the and the rains that it is attracting, um, and the other one is that the the thirst of the farming sector seems to be endless. What is the solution? Do we really need? I mean, it's strawberry farming the only alternative or intensive farming? It doesn't even need to be a strawberry. Is intensive farming the only alternative for the economy around Doñana? Hmm. Can we think of other? Um, economic models for the region that don't imply drying up the aquifer that feeds one of the most important wetlands in Europe mm -hmm. and the world. I mm -hmm. think we need to be a little bit more creative, think how can we make more money out of less farming, so better quality products, maybe innovative products um, that continue providing food and money to to the local people uh, without um, ruining a great asset, which is the National Park, and also is creating an economy around it. We must not forget that. Yeah, very, very important question. Yes. Um, okay, and finally, um, uh, just, uh, just very recently, the European Commission issued another warning. Um, and well, regarding millions in sanctions to the Spanish government if this law passes. So I wanted to ask you if aren't there any cautionary measures that the EU can take to protect a Natura 2000 site as it is a European protected site? Well, there are, there are many regulations that Spain should be following and complying with. And, mm -hmm. and they're not. Um, the European Commission is not really the police. No, mm -hmm. uh, they don't have that that uh, that role. But they they can take things to the European Court of Justice, and that is what they have done. They have issued so many warnings since 2010, if I'm not mistaken, to the Spanish government, telling them you have a problem, you need to fix it. Yeah. Until. The, the ruling from the European Court of Justice came some years ago and it said you really need to fix this or you're in trouble. What can happen now and what is what the European Commission can do and what the European Commission has warned the Spanish government about is to take the case again to the European Court of Justice. And in this case, if we don't solve the problem in Doñana, we would have to pay a fine to the to the European Commission. Yeah. The thing is, 
the, that it, it's a bit ironic that it's a regional government trespassing a European law that then the fine will be paid by all the Spaniards yeah. with all our taxes, not only, if it, it won't come only from the pockets of the people that are passing this new law that they want to pass in Andalusia. So that's all from us this week. This week, the AgriFood podcast was produced by Eurector's AgriFood news team. That's Natasha Foot, Paula Andres and Julia Dam with the technical support of Evie Curie. You can also find this podcast on all major streaming platforms that includes Amazon, Apple, Spotify and Stitcher. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletters so you don't miss the latest agriculture news from the EU. I'm Julia Dam. Thanks for listening and see you next week.